So this is C.J. Baker, and this is the ongoing history of Protest Music Podcast. So this is the companion podcast to the website, ongoinghistoryofprotestsongs.com. So today I got two special guests who make up two-thirds of the Americana Trio through our wilds. So by the time the episode will air, we released the latest album, Shame and Sedition, a follow-up to the exceptional 2019 album, What Would They Do? So maybe to begin with, I can get each of you to introduce yourselves one at a time. Yeah. Uh, hello, my name is Issa Burke. Um, happy to be here. Hi, I'm Molly Obamswin. Um a member of Lula Wiles, and I too am happy to be here. Thanks for having us, Chris. <laughs> Excellent. And maybe I'll just mention something because you may hear a little bit in my throat. So I did post an update on my website for regular visitors. I did spend a few days in the hospital, so it's non-COVID related, but if you see that I'm struggling a little bit, that's part of the reason why. So please just bear with me a bit. So we're doing this through Zoom. So of course, we are social oh. distancing. And then we mentioned have a new album that will be coming out, Shame and Sedition, which is based, uh, based on a line in the song television. Why did you choose Shame and Tradition as a title for the album? Go for it, Molly. Yeah, so um, I was really pushing uh, for that as the title um, because it felt like it zeroed in on a couple of major, I guess, themes or concepts that are circling each other right now, and um, particularly the uh, Western worlds, which is, you know, uh, colonizing nations, as it were. And, um, you know, with, I guess, the, the tide of Black Lives Matter uh, movement and uh, liberation movements and, you know, climate change as well, people talking about all these issues um, that are resulting from colonialism and global capitalism. Um, the idea of shame is coming up a lot, especially for white folks, you know, just sitting with that idea and um, sedition we wanted to introduce as a concept um, and sort of turn it on its head um, in, in settler colonies, right? The idea of falling in line under the authority is what um, folks are taught to do and reared to do from a very young age, right? And 
um, standing up against oppressive systems and oppressive legacies um, can be called sedition, right? And is sometimes called sedition um, in, you know, by the government as a means of controlling the masses. So we wanted to really, um, I don't, we haven't talked about it too much in interviews. We haven't been asked about it too much. So I'm happy for the question, honestly. Okay. Yeah. Great. And I feel like I, if I can expand on that a little bit, I feel yeah. like um, for a lot of the reasons that Molly's talking about, like, I didn't totally get what the title meant at first. And I, I'm really glad that we ended up going with that because I feel like um, in so many ways, it really does encapsulate a lot of what this album is about. And I feel yeah. like the more we talked about it, the more I saw these threads running, even through like the less political songs on the record too. Yeah. Like, I feel like a lot of the songs that are more about like various kinds of interpersonal relationships or mm -hmm. like mental illness, um, we deal with that kind of internalized shame or shame in the context of a relationship and the idea of sedition in like a more metaphorical sense too of like rising up against whatever is not serving you. Um, and obviously I think the, the political um, themes of the record I think are, are at the forefront of what that title yeah. is about, but the more I've thought about it, the more I have felt like it, it applies to everything on the record as well. It is something, I mean, I've only heard the first three singles so far. So television, in dreams, and oh my God. Do you think that you're a god now in your fancy car? Stepping over bodies, grinning like a movie star. And oh my God, how embarrassing for you. compared to the other album, which I would say was a very socially conscious album as well. But this album does seem to be more explicitly political. Mm -hmm. So is that, am, I, am I correct in that assumption? I think so. I think we've gotten better at talking about things directly, um, better at understanding the world since even 2019, right? Or 2018 yeah. when we wrote the album. For sure. Yeah, and I think also there's like, I feel like with this record, there's also, I think, a better integration of like the political and the personal than on our last record. I feel like in some of our previous material, there was like, we had the political songs and we had the heartbreak songs. Oh. And I feel like this record kind of brings those things together in a more cohesive way, which is so much more true to like the experience of being a person. Um, like. The, the, you know, the old saying, the personal is political, I think is is really true. And that that is a lot of what this record is about, too, like the intersection of those things. Yep. You definitely have that intersection there. So I know, because I've talked to like a few artists that have been recording through the whole crazy time of the pandemic. So it seems like sometimes a band or an artist would have a certain album in mind to begin with then the direction of that album or the direction of the music ends up shifting. Was that the case with you guys at all? Or 
or is this basically the album that you intended to make? That's a good question. Um, well, we wrote most of the album. Oh, it's kind of half and half, isn't it, Isa? We wrote. I feel like yeah, it's kind of half half and half in terms of writing, like pre-pandemic or post-pandemic or during pandemic, more mm -hmm. accurately. Um, <clears throat> and in in some ways, I think you never really know what record you're going to make until you actually make it. Mm -hmm. um, and we did have some preconceived notions, like there were some songs on this record that we played a lot live. So we had some idea of how we wanted those to sound, but even those ended up changing a lot once we went in the studio. So I think we had, we had ideas and we had goals and we had sounds that we wanted to explore. And we also had a lot of really amazing surprises as we worked mm -hmm. on things in the studio. Absolutely. I think the fact that we didn't have a ton of time to play together beforehand also, I think, made it made it a lot more pleasantly surprising, too. Yeah, so all different various factors there. And I know an issue that you've addressed in your music a lot with, and I think you have already mentioned the word colonialism. <laughs> I know, Mali, this is a subject that, as an indigenous person yourself, it's probably a subject that have that personal connection with. I know that this is a topic that you've addressed a lot in both this album and on previous recordings. So why do you think this is a important topic to address? Mm. Well, you know, we're facing a lot of issues just as a human population right now. Climate change, you know, maybe yeah. chief among them. Uh, but but lots of, you know, social justice issues, economic justice issues, environmental justice. It really is. Um, colonialism was the thing that made all of those terrible atrocities blossom into being um, to the extent that they are now. And I think that um, in this time, it's really crucial that we address the root of the problem um, because the earth itself is, um, you know, at risk. And, yeah. um, you know, if we don't stop the um, construct constructs and the systems that were created by colonialism, right, um, including but not um, limited to um, extractive and pollutive industry and mass agriculture, right, um, but going, reaching as far as the prison, prison industrial complex and obviously indigenous land dispossession being one of the first things, um, we're not going to solve the issue. You know, we're not going to solve uh, the climate crisis. We're not going to get out of it. We're going to continue to uh, plummet into it and yeah. all will go up in flames. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I also want to add that like, I, like, I, I totally get why you said, Chris, that, uh -huh. You know, Molly has a personal connection to colonialism as an indigenous person, but like everyone has a personal connection to colonialism because it impacts all of us. Some of us benefit from it, mm -hmm. but we're also all harmed by climate change. So I think that the more Absolutely. that though that like white folks and other people who are privileged in various ways who benefit from colonialism can come to the realization like, oh, yeah, this impacts me, too. I am part of this. I benefit from this. I probably reinforce this in ways that I may not be aware of. And it's also hurting me because yeah. it is what is causing climate change, which is hurting everyone. I think that's really important, too, um, to be aware of. Yeah, but that's an important acknowledgement there. And it is a universal concern. Like, it's 
like obviously it's an issue in Canada and in Canada we have the issues with pipelines and mm-hmm. and our track record on with indigenous people is yeah. not great <laughs> so it's something that could be definitely a universal concern there mm-hmm. so we mentioned <laughs> Facts. So these are issues I know you've been speaking out with for a while, but when you first started like making music, either together or on your own, have you always been attracted to music with a socially conscious message? I think to some degree, yes, but it took me a while to, it took me a while to learn to incorporate that into my songwriting. I think, you know, I grew up in kind of the, the like Northeast folk music community okay. where, you know, people like Woody Guthrie and Pete Seeger yeah. were sort of held up as the, I was also like really into Ani DeFranco in high okay. school. Like she's done a ton of that. So it was definitely something that was always like on my radar to some degree. Um, and in you know in recent years kind of <coughs> expanding my my personal canon of protest music beyond yeah. just like white dudes and the occasional white woman um <laughs> but i think for me yeah. it took a while to really come into my like musical political voice yeah for a long time those two things were separate and it's taken a while for me to learn to to put them together what mm. are you molly um yeah it's a good question i um so i grew up playing a lot of folk music too and instrumental music um mostly until i got uh, until i started with little wiles honestly traditional folk music and jazz and yeah. um as an instrumentalist i was you know as a bass player i was um playing in these idioms where liberation and liberation theory and everything is a really central um, yeah. component to them, right? Especially in um, in jazz and avant-garde uh, movements and everything. Yeah. And um, that was like my introduction in a lot of ways to uh, music. And um, I've always been, you know, I guess politically aware to some extent that is inherent to my existence, but um, it took me a while to start, like Isa said, start putting that into song. And the big catalyst for me was um, the Standing Rock protests in 2016 was when I wanted to, I started wanting to really write about stuff. Okay. Even they, like when you study like the free jazz of like the 60s, like it has a definite political connection now. For sure. Yeah. Yeah. So of course the, we know there's three of you in the group. Is that ever present a challenge when someone wants to speak up on a certain topic? Is there ever a concern where one of the members is like, okay, maybe, maybe to back off a little bit. <laughs> I'll say we haven't ever had that, um, that kind of interaction, you know, okay. where someone wants to talk about something. I think it's been more, um, candidly to say this candidly, I think it's been more an issue of knowing how to talk about it. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah. I would agree with that. And like, you know, I think the, speaking on behalf of the two white members of the band just like the baseline level of ignorance about indigenous issues that most white people have is so high yeah um and i that's just been like a continuous 
learning process for us too. And as we've all kind of come <laughs> into our, our political voices as musicians and as people, um, you know, it's, it's an ongoing process and is still ongoing during this interview and tomorrow and the day after. <laughs> so it's a process there. And is that a little bit, because uh, I know I've interviewed like a bunch of individuals and the fact that you recorded folk music, you probably have an audience who's more receptive to certain ideas to be. <clears throat> Has there ever been any kind of like backlash from speaking out at any time or? I the think a, the occasional <laughs> jerk. <laughs> yeah. you go, you go. I think people are more emboldened online. Yeah. Um, and I think people <laughs> are emboldened in a really um, <clears throat> passive aggressive way in person, you know, or like yeah. a veiled, thinly veiled way. Um, we have had people, you know, in the South, not, not that racists only exist in the South, but yeah. it happened mm -hmm. to be in Arkansas. Like people walk out of our show when oh. we started, you know, going in a certain direction, but um, yeah, nothing like directly, you know, violent and confrontational okay. in the moment. <laughs> yeah. And I think a lot of people, um, I think it is true that a lot of people in the folk world, even if like some of our personal politics yeah. might be more radical than the average folky. Yeah. I think that I do think that people in the folk world are used to hearing yeah. that kind of thing. And so they are more receptive to it than people in say the <clears throat> country world. Like the I I mean some of my some of my friends or like even just people that I follow on social <clears throat> media that are in the more like mainstream country, like they get insane amounts of backlash for saying <clears throat> what I consider to be the like tamest middle of the road liberal takes <laughs> and i'm like oh yeah we scared all those people off long ago so yeah. that's fine <laughs> i will say i just want to like continue on that though like um folks are more receptive especially to hearing critiques about um economic injustice as pertains to um poor white people i think yeah. and totally. you know like that like unionizing like white poor some often rural thing is like people are it's pretty commonplace because of folks like Guthrie and Seeger right but really addressing the big topics of colonialism and the root causes and racism is a lot more uncomfortable in those spaces and you know I'm grateful to my predecessors like uh Bobby St. Marie you know but people didn't embrace or really understand what she was doing in a lot of spaces either right so yeah a long way to go yeah apparently yeah. she was backlisted so Exactly. Yeah. She was literally yeah. blacklisted in two countries. Yeah. At least yeah. <laughs> that we know of. Yeah. <laughs> so, so I guess the speaking out is that's so that's something that it's just always you just always been compelled to do that. Then. Yeah. I think so. Yeah. yeah. But like the way we do it and the things yeah. we say, and the ways that we engage with it, totally evolve over time. But yeah. I think for like. For me, and I think for Molly too, there's there has been a certain like political consciousness for each of us in very different ways, obviously, that has kind of always been there. But is there any other musical influences that have inspired you that you haven't mentioned yet? So many. <laughs> <laughs> Don't even know where to start. Um, I mean, I feel like for me, a lot of my biggest <clears throat> formative influences if I look back were just like 
the people that I grew up around and the people at Maine Fiddle Camp, which is where we all started playing music together. Um, you know, I think one one benefit of growing up in the folk music world is that it is so community centric. <laughs> and so you are just interacting with, especially both my parents were musicians, Molly's yeah. dad is a musician too. So we just like <laughs> had a lot of musicians around. Um, and so I think for me, that was honestly one of my biggest influences was just like starting to play music with people at fiddle camp and, um, and things like that. But um, in terms of more like formative musical influences that aren't people I know, Joni Mitchell is a big one. Um, I don't know that that's necessarily like perceptible in my music. Like, I don't really think my music sounds like Joni Mitchell, but um, I do find her music really inspiring and it always makes me feel like I'm like getting closer to myself. Yeah. Um, and there, I mean, I could go on and on. There's like, <laughs> I feel like a ton of specific influences that I think kind of pointed me in the direction that I was going on this album. Like I was yeah. listening to a lot of Neil Young at the time, which yeah. I think you can kind of hear in a lot of the guitar playing on the yeah. record. Um, I don't know. Lots and lots. <laughs> lots of influences. Yeah. What about you, Molly? Uh, yeah, it's, it's always such a hard question to answer, but like over time, some of the big ones, um, the Beatles, yeah. you gotta have the yeah. Beatles in there, especially cause people, there's a song on the album that people just keep comparing to just be like, oh, this woozy Beatles song, you know, whatever. Yeah. but so, um, it is fairly Beatly, I would say. No, nothing wrong um, with that. Yeah, right. I'll take it. Um, Charles Mingus, a really big one in terms okay. of avant-garde sounds, bass playing and, um, lyrical commentary i guess um when he does speak in his tracks um and ornette coleman another one in that camp um and randy newman um they're all dudes for some reason um rufus wainwright the yeah. legend we love rufus um, wainwright in this band oh. <laughs> yeah i don't know yeah, yeah exactly um fluid mac i don't know you know the the normals <laughs> yeah and it's good to have a wide range of influences. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> and I don't know if you do it at all on this album, but I know on your previous album, you've, I also appreciate how you challenge some of like the old, like folk idioms. Like, for mm -hmm. example, you write like a murder ballad from the opposite perspective and stuff. And feel it's like, why do you feel it's important to do that as well? Yeah. I mean, I think that there as folk music has evolved especially as recorded music has yeah. evolved over the last hundred years yeah. um the idea of what folk music is has become this sort of like <coughs> nostalgia like costume music yeah. thing which to me is like really antithetical to what folk music actually yeah. is like the whole point of folk music is that it evolves yeah. and that everyone yeah. who continues <coughs> to be a practitioner of traditions like you learn from the past and then yeah. you provide your own take on it. Yeah. And I think people who are weirded out by that, to me, they do not understand what folk music is. Yeah. And that's one mm -hmm. thing that I really love about working with Smithsonian Folkways yeah. is that they do kind of take that broad yeah. idea of what folk music is. Like they're releasing <laughs> this really big, this massive collection of hip hop music right now as a statement that like hip hop is a style of American folk music. Yeah because it developed in community as a as an expression of what 
communities were experiencing. And like that to me is the essence <clears throat> of what folk music is. So I, I feel like that is, that's kind of the place that a lot of our music is coming from, you know, whether it's got fiddles or electric guitars on it or both. Yeah. Um, that's, that's where, where it's coming from for me, I think. I agree. And um, I also think it's important, you know, as we like, you know, we observe these uh, trends in folk music that's, be, you know, um, being made today, right, with the like backward looking lens, we're, we're watching that happen. And we're also trying to be really critical of the narratives that are presented because people do learn from pop culture and people learn from culture, even if it's not, you know, folk culture, I guess, whatever. But uh we want to be uh we're wrestling with a lot of those narratives you know we're wrestling with the fact that all the murder ballads are about killing women and it's yeah. like this glorification and we're wrestling with the fact that all these you know western songs right are about killing indians so we want yeah. an anti-colonial western and we want yeah. a uh feminist murder ballad you know like yeah. you gotta yeah make the pot better yeah because <laughs> you remind me of uh like i was having like on, on one of my podcast episodes started talking about Woody Guthrie and this land is your land came up which is of course considered an iconic song uh the like the person I was interviewing his name's time he's a rapper and a journalist he mentioned his issues with that song because of the colonialism aspect mm-hmm. which I kind of was like oh yeah it's something I know we've thought about before yeah, I actually wrote a really long essay about that for um, Folklife magazine. Yeah. yeah, it's a great essay. Everyone should read it. <laughs> no, I probably need to check that out. Nice. Yeah. Cool. But I think that's a good thing with folk music, because even when we talked about Woody Guthrie, this land is your land was a response song. Right, exactly. And so, it's it's so important to talk about like, yeah, yeah. how the like the greater movement for like unions and for like abolishing private property and for the rights of poor people right these are all really important topics but he just had that classic amount of you know white ignorance that's even in activist movements right and that's what my essay is really about you know it's like you're almost there (laughs) just gotta get a little bit deeper down to the root and it's like it's no surprise really that like those lyrics are the ones that survived and all of these other more radical verses yeah. people often forget about like mm-hmm. why do we think that is but i think it's it's important like just to you know candidly continue this conversation like in the folks who are listening to our new album and like yeah. even the like um reviews that we've already had a lot of white reviewers will connect a lot more easily with the material that is like (coughs) pro unions and like economic rights that are race blind and like, or whatever, right? Just like not directly addressing these (coughs) things, either because they don't um, personally connect with the colonial anti-colonial narratives or because they don't really pick up on what the lyrics are, right? And so it's like, it's just a mark of the systemic issue of the blind spots against, intentionally created blind spots against uh, native people. Yeah. So I definitely enjoyed our discussion. Before we conclude, is there anything else you would like to plug or say? Listen to the record, buy the record. (laughs) Yeah, buy it from Bandcamp so we get the the money directly. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I guess first Friday of the month, possibly. (laughs) I know. I hope they keep doing those. Yeah. (laughs) 
Yeah, that's definitely because I know that's frustrating being a indie artist. Definitely. And, uh, fight for those crumbs. Oh yeah, I mean it was it was hard enough before all the gigs got canceled. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, well, anyway, thank you, thank you for having us, Chris. Yeah, no worries. Um, a lot of really really great questions. Uh, thanks, and because you mentioned gigs, oh, is anything starting to open up yet, or? A little bit. We're going to be doing um, a couple handfuls of like outdoor shows this summer um, and a little bit into the fall. So people can keep an eye on our, our social media and our website um, and we'll start announcing those soon. Okay, excellent. So I encourage everyone to check out Shame and Sedition, which will be out by the time that this podcast out. So thanks again. I enjoyed our discussion. Thank thanks you for having us. Have a good night. So this concludes the ongoing history of protest music podcast. So if you'd like to leave feedback, you can do so at the website ongoinghistoryofprotestsongs.com or you can DM me at Twitter at Tunes of Protest. So once again, I'd like to thank my special guest, Lua Wiles. So I definitely encourage you to check out their album on Bandcamp, Shame and Sedition. So to conclude, we're going to play the opening track off that album, In Dreams. Thanks for listening, and please stay safe.
Perceive, having been taught to believe. 